parents are two grandsons here. Can y'all sing like that? No, okay, all right, we're just checking. They're going to be here with them another week. Peggy Casey's back here too, and uh, if you read the 3D on Friday morning that Ken wrote, he shared some about the pain that he went through in those first few days of his surgery. But he's doing better. He wanted to come this morning. Peggy wouldn't let him come because he needs to keep his feet propped up. And I told her this, we could lean him over that pew right there. I can just can't, he'd just be hanging there. Yeah. But he's doing gooder and gooder, so praise the Lord. Keep praying for him. I do want to preach about mercy this morning, and so much I've wrestled with this sermon. I'll probably preach about mercy again next week, the sustaining mercy of God. And more than likely, if something doesn't change, the sermon title next week will be When the Red Sea Doesn't Part. When the Red Sea Doesn't Part. We'll talk about that, that keeping mercy, that sustaining mercy of God. But this morning I want to talk about how wide is the mercy of God. And after I'd already put in print the title of the sermon, I put on my notes the word infinite out beside it. So God's mercy is wide. How wide is it? It's infinite. It's infinite. And uh, it's difficult for any preacher to preach about the mercy of God in a 20 or 25 minute sermon. The width and the depth of how broad and how great it is. The sermon started several months ago when my son-in-law, and uh, when he was in a thrift store, walking around in the thrift store looking for bargains, I'm thinking he was probably waiting for my daughter Audrey to hurry up and get through in the thrift store. That's not actually true. He likes to go to thrift stores. He buys toys and stuff and stuffed animals that are very expensive, so I won't tell you what he's collecting, but if you've got some collectible toys, just let my son-in-law know about it. He and I will sell them on eBay. He was going around in the thrift store and he went over by some books and he saw a book called Streams of Mercy. The author was Mark Rutland, whom I've mentioned before, and he knows Mark Rutland, heard him preach several times. He picked up the book with the intention of giving it to me eventually. He read the book and he gave it to me about a month ago. So part of what I'm going to share I've gleaned from this book, but also just from years of preaching. It hadn't been too long ago I preached about mercy and grace, and just remind you again that the word mercy and the word grace are often used in the same context, and they have very similar meaning and very similar fulfillment. Usually we think of mercy in the Old Testament, it's used there more often, and then the word grace is more prevalent in the Greek in the New Testament. They do have a lot of the same meaning, though, uh, grace and mercy. But my experience has been, my years of preaching on the mercy of God, is that there's no real human definition that completely explains and captures the depth and the width of God's mercy. Even to get a greater understanding, even to try to have some kind of definition of it, you've got to experience it. And even then, you're overwhelmed by it. And I know that most of you have tasted and experienced the mercy of God. But I want us to talk about today how wide it is. I'll make reference to it by calling it divine. The divine mercy of God. We may extend mercy to some. We've got some attorneys and judges connected to our church, and, and they can extend some mercy. But God's mercy, this divine mercy, that flows, that flows from the throne of God's Grace from the throne of His mercy, it can go into places that nothing else can go. It's powerful. 
It's powerful. It, it goes where no one else dares to go. It'll go. I'm going to read a story to you, and uh, I'm going to ask you to listen intently. I'm going to ask you to listen carefully as I know you always do. Every Sunday, you listen to the preacher. I heard a little bit of snickering. But I want you to enter into this story, and I, I really want you to try to enter into these characters as I read from Luke, the seventh chapter. There are three characters. There's a Pharisee, there's Jesus, and then there's a prostitute, a woman, a sinner of the street comes in. You, you remember it, the scene, but I want you to be each character. Because you are. You're the Pharisee sometimes. So am I. But I want you to, what if you were Jesus in this story? What would you have done? How would you have reacted? And then we also are the prostitute. God tells us that in His Word, that all of Israel has prostituted me. They have adulterated me. We're, we get thrown in too. So, so we're all three characters, but I want you to, Enter into it. I'm going to read it slowly, but I want you to... And by the way, the words mercy is never used in this story, but it's, but it's all in there. Luke, the seventh chapter, beginning in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Now, you know in that day and time that they didn't have chairs and tables like we do. More than likely, they were on the floor, and so Jesus probably was kneeling at the table and his feet were in behind him. His exposed feet were in behind him. Verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him, and she was weeping. And she began to wash Jesus' feet with her Tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with fragrant oil. Are you there? Have you got the visual? Are you listening to it? Are you there? And are you Jesus? Are you her? Are you the Pharisee? And this uncomfortable situation, and Jesus is there. And she begins to take her hair, and, and she's just kissing his feet. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, inside himself, say, This man, if, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I've got something I want to say to you. So he said, Teacher, go ahead and say it. There was a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 550. Difference. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave both of them. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, Well, I, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman. She's still behind him, and I'm supposing she's still kissing his feet. He turns around to the woman that is behind him. And he said, though, to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, because in that day and time it would be common even the men to... 
welcome a person, give them a kiss, but his woman was not, she has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, turned around to her and said, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I made reference to the words of grace earlier coming from Psalms 136. I want to read them again. And I want to encourage you to read all the chapter of Psalms 136 sometime this afternoon or perhaps tonight before you go to bed. And I want you to read yourself in all 26 verses because it covers the cycle of Israel. It goes to creation, parting of the Red Sea, to the wilderness. But the phrase, for His mercy endures forever, is repeated 26 times. Seems like God wanted us to get that out of Psalms 136. We don't get anything else. I'm going to repeat something 26 times, hoping you'll get it. For the mercy of the Lord endures how long? He wants to make sure we get that. That's how wide it is. That's how awesome this mercy is, this divine mercy that's coming from God. I want to ask you something. Have you tasted the mercy of God? Have you entered into it? The powerful mercy of God. Do you live out of the mercy of God? How can a human, though, explain in terms, and as I'm going to try to do, how wide and how broad and how powerful is the mercy of God to try to digest the power of God's divine mercy? But in this passage in Luke 7, this beautiful story, as well as identifying the one who is the source of forgiveness, which it does, but it illustrates in the loving act of a prostitute the profound truth that a person who has experienced great forgiveness and mercy responds in great love. Now, it doesn't mean, like Paul said then, we're talking about grace in the New Testament, so should I sin more and more so grace will abound more and more? He said, God forbid. No. But the truth is, many people have experienced a washing and a cleansing of such horrible sins in their life. Many of them have a ministry that is just awesome and a testimony that's powerful. But don't underestimate being raised in a godly home, but still realizing the power of God's mercy. Because none of us would be sitting here if it were not but for the mercy of God. And she experienced this. Jesus basically says she's a different person. A person who's been washed in the mercy of God. Now, let me ask you something. Did God's mercy, did God's mercy active in this woman's life motivate her behavior or empower her behavior? And the, the obvious answer is that yes. But again, for us to enter into the story ourselves, does the mercy of God that's been given to you motivate and empower your behavior? That's the greater wrestling of the mercy of God. When it's given to us, does it change our action? Does it change our behavior? Does it change our attitude? It's, It's broad. It's great. The book that I referred to, Streams of Mercy, begins this way. I'm going to paraphrase it. It's a story that a pastor, probably going back about 20, 25 years ago, was in a hospital and was ministering to an AIDS patient. He came into the room, and the AIDS patient said, Well, I guess you're here to condemn me, being an AIDS patient. 
the story tells us he was near his 20th birthday. He was dying. And the pastor said, well, no, I, I, I didn't. He said, I guess you're going to tell me that God hates everybody with AIDS. No, I, I'm not. I said, you're going to tell me God's mad at us. I said, no, I, I'm not going to tell you that God's mad at you. I'm going to let you know he's sad. Finally, the walls kind of began to break down, and the pastor goes on and shares. They talk back and forth, and after about an hour, this young AIDS patient, young man, he, uh, he asked for God's mercy, he asked for forgiveness, and he received Jesus Christ and was gloriously born again. A few hours had gone by. The AIDS patient asked for the pastor to come back by. The young man died, but just before he died, he whispered these words to the pastor. He said, at my funeral, preacher, at my funeral, there will be a lot of sinners like me. He said, I want you to preach. His voice began to trail off. I want you to... The preacher said, what? What? Preach on what? And he said, mercy. 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 Vicky and I tell y'all that we wrestle with our own sermons and that the Word is for us just as much as it is for anybody. Wednesday had been a long day. I had my sermon on my mind and had preached here at Jane's funeral, and I was emotional. Uh, Jane and I were close, and, and uh, it was just tough. I mean, I, I emotionally, I, I know God gives us preachers funeral grace is what I call it, but, but I, I was emotional. I was tired, and then that evening we had our children, wonderful Wednesday, and I was doing the reading and part of the teaching with our kids on Wednesday night. And so the time I got through, it was about 7.15, and uh, I was tired. I was, I was looking forward to going home. I walked out in the parking lot, and there were two teenagers out there at our church, Jay and Kennedy, and I was talking, had a conversation with them as I was getting ready to get in my truck, and I, you know, when you know someone comes up behind you and somebody's standing there, and, and I turn, and there's a young man standing there that, uh, that my first observation was, um, he's an addict. I wasn't judging him, but I, I knew that. I mean, just the reality was, it was obviously he was hungry. And uh, he asked, could he talk with me? And I, my humanness said, oh, Lord, right now I wanted to go home. But mercy changed everything. I went and got him some food, and we had some food left over from the wonderful Wednesday and some other snacks. And I got him in the truck. I was going to take him and put him in a motel room. And we talked for about 45 minutes to an hour, and as sometimes I do, not always, but I shared with him about my own son's condition of drug use, and uh, that breaks the walls down, and he began to weep, and he said, I'm a heroin addict. And I said, and you're detoxing, aren't you? He said, yeah. He said, I want to quit. I said, I know you do. You really do? We talked about that. I said, I know you do. I I've never met an addict or an alcoholic. I said, you know... I'm so glad this is happening to me. This is where I knew I was headed, and I want to be here. I mean, they don't. I told him I'd put his name in my wallet, which I do. I have a whole list of addicts that I intercede for on a regular basis. 
because I had mercy on my mind, I talked about mercy. And one of the things that he shared with me, because I asked him, you know, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes, Jesus in my heart. He said, I want to quit, though, and I've been clean for a week. And uh, he said, and I I want to get baptized. He said, "I, I hadn't been baptized yet, but when I'm good enough, I want to get baptized. I said, Adam, none of us are good enough to get baptized. You don't have to wait till then. I said, the the important thing is that you've asked Jesus in your heart, and that's all that matters. And if you make it to baptism, praise the Lord. But if you don't, the baptism that happens is the one that only God can do inside the heart. He understood. He understood. He wept some more. We prayed. And because I had mercy on my mind, I told him about the mercy of God, and I prayed. I said, Adam, I'm going to pray that the mercy of God will deliver you from this addiction. I'm going to pray that, that the mercy of God will touch every cell in your body. I mentioned that story just to remind us that this, this, this wide, awesome mercy reaches to every human heart. But it also should change our actions and our behavior. It's so powerful. It goes in places that we would dare to go. Power of God's mercy. I also want to ask you to pray. I've been calling him Adam. That's not his name, but you just pray for him. God's mercy is wide. His mercy did not stay in heaven. His mercy did not stay in the ivory halls. But the mercy of God came down into the mud and the blood of of our lives. The incarnate God, He wrestles with the crazy, crazy complications of humanity. Never oversimplifying it, even in this story with Jesus. He doesn't oversimplify it. Jesus is never taken aback. He's never aghast at our perverse, sad, lonely horror of our flesh, yet always willing to show mercy to to whatever we've made of ourselves. That's the power of God's mercy. In Luke 7, the the revealing detail of the story is not anything Jesus did, but what He did not do. He didn't move. He just sat there with others watching. And he let this notorious woman pour out physical affection on his exposed feet. Why did he do that? Because Jesus was more more worried and concerned. He was more concerned about not wounding her further than he was about his reputation. How do you explain that kind of mercy? You can't. You You just see it in action in the story. He just sat there because he loved her. God's divine, infinite mercy is more concerned about a repentant heart than a questionable past. It's sticky, complicated, this, this messy mercy that is wider, it's far wider than we can even think. And it's the only way through the gate. Jesus said there's a gate that is narrow and and this mercy is the only way any of us are going to get through the gate. If it's Adam or me, it's only because there's a God of mercy that's willing to meet me and you right where we're at. Whether we're the Pharisee or the prostitute, mercy of God just reaches out to everybody. The gate, though, the gate that is narrower than sometimes we like to pretend. But it's only because of divine grace we're allowed to experience it. I wrote this down this week. I'm still wrestling with this statement, but I'll just throw it out there with you. 
Divine mercy. Divine mercy does not ask our opinion. But divine mercy demands our surrender. All we can do is give in to it. Everybody. Every Pharisee and every prostitute. All we can do is say, Lord, have mercy on me. Vicky and I pick out the hymn books, the hymns for this service. We talk about as some of the hardest, it's the toughest wrestling that we do with. Sometimes we'll call Russ, but he wants us to pick them out because he knows that we know exactly what we're preaching on. He says, y'all pick them out. I called him, though, because I have got to look in Tuesday morning in the hymn book, and I came across a song that's on page 121. We don't know the tune, and he didn't know a tune that we could mix it to. And so I'm going to read to you some of the verses as I was working on this sermon, and then I'm picking out hymns, and I want to read to you two or three of the lines. You know what it's called? There is a wideness in God's mercy. That was just confirmation to me. I must have been preaching somewhere near to what God wanted. There's wideness in God's mercy. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. There's a welcome for the sinner. There's more graces for the good. There's a mercy. There is mercy with the Savior. And there's healing in His blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. More important in your life than to be able to explain mercy is to experience. And you experience it by the one who died on the cross for you. That's, that's, that's where we begin our understanding. Then it's a lifelong process. Because remember what Psalms 136 said? For the mercy of the Lord endures forever. I want to ask you this morning, do you need to come and experience this mercy that only Jesus Christ can give you? I would invite you to come and say, yes, Lord, I want that personal relationship with the only one that can begin to teach me about this walk, this journey I'm on about mercy. But I also want to ask a deeper question. Do you need to give His mercy away? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bless You and praise You. Lord, I I pray that Your Spirit would come and and minister to all of us here uh, uh, the, the, the power of Your divine mercy. Oh, my goodness, God. It's so wider and so much more infinite than we can even even try to grasp. But most of us here can say, Thank you, God, you let it come my way. Forgive me a sinner. Have mercy upon me, oh God. Lord, give us freedom to respond to your word and to let mercy affect our behavior and our actions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.